This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, and I'm here today with my co-host, Alan Peterson, who is the Executive Director for the Compassionate Friends. Hey, Alan, hello. Heidi, how are you doing uh, today? I'm good. Welcome to the show. Yeah, we've got... uh, I love doing radio shows. I love all the stuff that we do. A lot of people... uh, don't know, you know, just how our partnership works, the Compassionate Friends and Open to Hope, but uh, Open to Hope, obviously, you guys are the biggest online resource in the world on grief and loss for all type of loss at opentohope.com, and uh, the Compassionate Friends, we're the largest grief organization in the world helping families grieving the death of a child, grandchild, or sibling of any age of any cause. And so uh, we get to do uh, programs together, you and I, uh, and, of course, Gloria Horsley as well. And we uh, partner on shows that um, on different topics. And I like what we're talking about today, Heidi. We've got a, a show on something that I think is very helpful. Our guest um, really works in advocacy and, and, um, uh, and, chi- and child safety and um, I see a lot of people that get help in their grief from that. So today's topic uh, will be helpful, especially for, for those who may wonder, you know, what can I do? Because a lot of times in, the, in grieving, do you notice, Heidi, you know, we hear all these, these things, you know, grief is this and grief is that, but we don't often hear, what is it that I can do? What, what, can I, what action can I take that might help? And I think advocacy is one of those areas, don't you? Absolutely. I totally agree with you, Alan. And, you know, the reason that we are so visited is because guests like the one we have on today, Barbara Hoffman, and she is going to be talking today about don't run red lights. And like you said, she is a major advocate and became a major advocate after her 14-year-old son, Michael Allenson, was hit and killed by a man who ran a red light in Mesa, Arizona. Um, Barb is the executive director of Red Means Stop Traffic Safety Alliance. And... She is the author of Carelessness is No Accident, and she also did a YouTube at Open to Hope on this very topic, and she's going to talk to us more, and this topic is very near and dear to my heart. I live here in New York City, and every 30 hours, someone is run over and killed here in this city. So we're going to talk to her more about what she is doing to be part of the solution. So welcome to the show, Barb. Well, hi. Good to see, I mean, hear from both of you. So, Barb, tell us a little bit about how you got um, interested in, in, in Don't Run Red Lights in this topic, and tell us a little bit about what brought you to this, and I know it was your son's Michael, Michael's death. Tell us a little bit about him. Well, the main reason that I got involved was because when I did lose my son, I found out the man who killed my son was only given a, a ticket for running the red light, and he wasn't giving given any punishment for killing my son. And I've wow. Of course, as a, a mom, I felt that was really unfair, and and that didn't bring any closure to me. So I went on to the Internet, and I was looking up laws that could maybe be used against this man, and I came across the Red Mean Stop organization, 
And that's when I contacted the executive director at the time named Frank Hines, and he was one of the founding fathers. There were three fathers that had gotten together back in 1999 and put this uh, nonprofit together because they were affected by red light running. Uh, Frank had lost his daughter. So that's how I got involved. It was mainly trying to find how, you know, the law could be more used towards this man. And they ended up not using anything else. They didn't take his license away or anything. He was 84 years old. And I was, you know, I guess I found that Dealing and working with other families that had been in my shoes really helped. And actually, somebody that was at a Red Mean Stop meeting told me about Compassionate Friends, and that's how I started going there as as well. Wow. So, so tell us a little bit about Michael. He was 14 years old, and you said he was walking across the street, and this man ran a red, ran a red light. And he was actually on a on a scooter. He was on a scooter. But he had a helmet on, and, oh, and he was in the right crosswalk. When the light turned green, he was standing next to a SUV, which hit his view for him to see both ways. I guess if you shouldn't have to look both ways when it turns green, but, right. you know, he should have, I guess. He just started out like he should have been able to do it on a green light, mm-hmm. and the man ran the red light. I'm assuming the man thought he had the green light maybe because of his age. He was going into a sunset, kind of um, into the west at mm-hmm. that time of the day, around 630 in the summer, and I suppose he was kind of blinded, but we went there the next day with um, TV cameras and filmed that same light at the same time, and you, you could see it turning red um, without even the sun visor down or any kind of filters on the camera. So we just felt that maybe he was distracted or too elderly to be driving, which is an issue that I try to work on, and it didn't get too far. Right, so you're building awareness so that this doesn't happen to other people, right. which I, I love that you're doing this. Um, how soon after Michael's death did you start getting involved um, in this organization, Red Means Stop Traffic Safety Alliance? It was probably in the first month because, mm-hmm. like I said, I started looking up information pretty quickly on what other laws could be used. There were laws that protect children in crosswalks, and there were laws for pedestrians in general. and and I suppose they they had already formed something called Jennifer's Law, which gave further punishment for people who ran red lights that weren't drunk and that weren't speeding and that did not leave the scene because any of those three items could um, convert it to like a criminal charge immediately. But this man wasn't speeding. He stopped. He showed remorse. He was not drunk. So that was part of the reason why he wasn't punished. Well, Jennifer's Law was targeted towards two cars that crashed and Michael being a pedestrian they didn't they didn't think of using that law so you know me joining the Red Mean Stop um, Traffic Safety Alliance also in, influenced them to add pedestrian to that law so now that if anybody is a pedestrian killed by a red light runner who wasn't drunk or speeding they could use Jennifer's law and the further punishment was higher fine and They'd have to do community service. They would lose their license for a certain period of time. It depended on the the whole situation. The Mm -hmm. judge could tag on a bunch of different punishments, which made it a little bit more fair. And and did you find, Barb, that, I mean, this is amazing what you've done as a result of this horrific tragedy. Did you find that kind of throwing yourself into advocacy and throwing yourself into maybe helping other people 
live and, you know, changing laws, do you, did you find that it helped you to, to heal a little bit or or not, or a place to channel anger, or how did it help you? Yeah, I think the main the main uh, benefit for me is that I became like an angry psycho mom, mm-hmm. and that being able to vent my anger through an organization that that worked in the same cause that I was really trying to um, raise awareness, it really helped my anger issues diminish quite a bit. Uh, my sorrow and my grief was helped through the compassionate friends, and then me trying to save other people's lives helped me heal. So working with other other teens and even younger, we're working even down to like sixth grade level, teaching them uh, tra- traffic safety issues, especially for bicycling and pedestrian issues. And we've gotten some sixth graders actually uh, wrote stories, and we got an artist to put it into like a comic book. And it's called The Adventures of Stoppy the Red Light. And Stoppy the Red Light is our mascot, and he he goes to these different places with us, and in the comic book, he ends up being like the superhero when the, the child is walking and texting, and then he steps into the street, Stoppy stops him and pushes him out of the way from getting hit by a car. And so he, he lectures the student on, you know, you shouldn't walk and text at the same time, or you look at your phone at, as you're walking, you need to pay attention. I love and this. One of, I love this. Yeah, it's really good. I, yeah. I just think about, you know, just from my house, which is on 59th to the studio, the radio studio I'm in, which is 89th, I just walked up here. Everybody's on their phone. Everybody's texting and walking across the street. I mean, nobody's looking anywhere anymore. So I love this idea of building awareness with kids and, and, and what, telling them. And it's really worked. Uh, the teacher that I was working with, she'd been teaching for twenty, some twenty-two years or so at mm-hmm. the time, and her same kids that wrote the comic book were on a field trip, and she said that in all the years of teaching, she never noticed the kids caring about the drivers around the school bus as they're going on their field trip. But these same kids, they actually looked out the window and saw somebody on their cell phone while driving, and they were really upset. And she said that was the first time they had any awareness of it. Right. So I think it's really working. It's really working. I, I love it. So, Barb, for someone out there that's listening that is mad as hell because their child died, what would you say to them? Well, I understand that it, it's a very difficult time uh, nothing seems to to uh, feel right at that time. It, you feel guilty laughing for the first time. You feel guilty eating. You feel guilty even existing. But once you start to think about things that might help other families, when you get to that point and putting yourself into an advocacy-type position like I do, it really empowers you and it gives you some strength again. And just watching other people, too, being able to do this gives you some strength, and that's what I really liked about Compassionate Friends, because when I started going, I met people that might have had 10 years under their belt, but they were able to, like, brush their hair and put on makeup and look half-decent, and I thought, well, there is hope, because you know, in the future, you can actually start living again, and, and I heard people laughing in the corner at a meeting once, and I was new, and I thought, how can they laugh, you know? Now that I'm there, I can understand. It just takes a lot of um, experience watching other people grow through the the uh, grief and then decide that they they can take the further steps of of healing. Well, that's you what know, I love Bar- about TCF, Barbara, don't you, Alan? Yeah, I well, I wanted to say a couple things uh, to Barbara because it's an interesting subject to me. Um, 
because we meet a lot of people who, um, you know, who through advocacy have kind of found their way. And it, it doesn't mean that, you know, that we, that we hurt less. I mean, we grieve just as much. But I think sometimes anger, because you said something earlier about, you know, you were very angry. Uh, and But anger sometimes gets a bad name uh, when we're in grief, because anger can also be used to do a lot of good. You know, Heidi and I have both done uh, work and presented for, you know, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, and, and uh, we both know many, many people who were able to take that anger and kind of harness the energy of it uh, and to do some good. And, and, and it does, uh, that's what you were able to do here. So can you talk a little more? I love what you're doing with the uh, child safety. Um, but can you give us, tell us a little more about the scope of what the uh, Red Means Stop Traffic Safety Alliance does? What is the scope of your work? Do you work nationally on changing laws and education? What's the full scope that you guys are, are trying to accomplish? Well, Red Wing Stop has mainly been a local Arizona-type group. There are a few board members that have moved out of state that still uh, work with us. They talk to schools in different states, but it's mostly local in Arizona. So we, we work on local laws, mostly statewide, or we work with cities on different ordinances that they might want to do. Just lately, they, they were trying to ban all cameras, all safety cameras, red light running and speeding cameras across the state. So we do go down to the to the uh, Capitol at that time. Usually in January, there's a lot of laws being talked about, and we go and talk in sessions in the, in the different committee sessions, and we actually uh, call up our state uh, senators and House of Representatives and try to influence them to vote a certain way, depending on the, the bill. So there were a few bills this year that we really worked hard on, and one was the ban, the ban of all the cameras, and we we didn't get that. I mean, it didn't pass, so there's still some cameras in the state, which I feel they can be useful when they're used properly. Then also we we also uh, had a – there was a, a ban for teenagers to not text and drive or use any cell phone while driving for their first six months. Even though that bill is not the strongest bill, um, Arizona has no bill, and it finally that passed. The teens are not going to be banned from using cell phones for their first six months of driving. And we were one of the last two states in the nation that had nothing for uh, texting and driving. And so we're having wow. at least one, a little a mini step there. Hopefully someday they'll understand that everybody should be banned from you know, hands-on cell phone use. Even hands-free can be dangerous if your mind is taken off of the task of driving. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You so you're right down in the trenches there doing the, the real work. That is that is awesome. I also wanted to um, thank you because I know you've given a lot as a volunteer uh, to our uh, chapters of the, the Compassionate Friends in Tempe and Mesa, Arizona. Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, you know, they hear about the Compassionate Friends, they understand that it's a support group, and they wonder to themselves, well, you know, is a support group for me. But talk about, uh, in addition to the advocacy that you got involved in, um, you know, early on, uh, what were the, the benefits of attending a support group, of getting involved with the Compassionate Friends, and how soon uh, after Michael's death did you get involved with TCF? Well, like I said, I, when I got involved with Red Means Stop, I met somebody at a board meeting who told me about Compassionate Friends, and I think I 
went to a meeting within a few months of Michael's death. It's it's kind of weird. I can't exactly tell you what month it was. Kind of oh. when you're in kind of a a dazed or a state of shock for a while. But I I started within the first six months after Michael passed away, and I remember getting there that first night. It was dark and it was raining, and I didn't know which door of this. It was at a church. I didn't know which door to enter, and it was really confusing. I almost gave up, but I decided keep looking and they had a big sign outside with the name of compassionate friends and i knew it was in the right door and from the moment i walked in the people there welcomed me and started to talk to me and making me feel very comfortable from the very first night they gave me a welcome packet and they explained a little bit about what they do in the meetings and then we all sat in a big group and they explained again a little bit of, you know, everybody's going to introduce themselves briefly, and then we'll break out into smaller groups where you can talk more um, detailed. And so it was very clear. I think that was helpful to me. I like to know what's going on. I like to feel comfortable in a, in a place, not expecting to be put on the spot or anything like that. And they did make it clear that if you if you can't talk that night, you don't need to say a word. And that's important for many families that are traumatized and they can't they can't speak and they can't even mention their child's name and i think that's nice that there's different options of how you can uh, take in the night you might be able to just sit there and listen and understand that other people are in the same shoes that was important for me i was listening for somebody that might have lost a child in a car crash or some sudden death somehow you it you kind of get drawn to somebody that's uh have yeah. a similar type of death and the lady who was running the uh compassionate friends at the time her son was hit by a car also mm-hmm. denise dean and he, he was very young too he was like 12 and so we we bonded pretty quickly because we understood that pain of that that type of loss that both of our boys went through well, well I and love... our boys were born in the same year so we felt like maybe they met up in heaven, became little angel friends, you know. That's, a, that's amazing, Barb. All that really is comforting. Yes. I love that you're saying that as soon as you went to the Compassionate Friends chapter, you felt welcomed and you connected with somebody that had a similar loss and became friends. Because sometimes we 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 really encourage people to go three times because I know the first time I ever went, it was very overwhelming and all I wanted to do was get out of there. Um, but by the third time, I felt comfortable. So sometimes we encourage people to stay for three times until they do feel comfortable. But I love from the beginning, you felt like you were really taken in and you felt like, you know, you were home. And it's, you know, it is such a great organization for healing. Yeah, I, I understand I think that some people might have that fear or they're uncomfortable. It is a little overwhelming somewhat hearing there are so many other parents in in the same situation you know, you leave and you're like, oh, my gosh, that person lost two children. Or, you know, and you start thinking this is overwhelming. But you do want to – I wanted to go back because I wanted to tell my story over and over again, maybe to save somebody else's life. I tell everybody, look both ways at a green light. And, you know, I wanted to get the word out that this kind of stuff is happening and punishment wasn't being done. So, Well, you know, Barbara, I, I mean, I, your story is inspiring. Um I, I, I just have met thousands and thousands of, of families who've, who've lost a child and, and worked with thousands of grieving parents. And I, I just continue to be in awe of what people do 
um, you know, from the darkest place in life that we can find ourselves, the different avenues that people take. And, and it sounds like your story is that um, you, you, you jumped right in early on to try to make a difference, which you, you continue to, to do today. You found support in your journey, and those two things have allowed you to do a work uh, in Michael's honor that is certainly uh, changing, um, I mean, making a difference in the world. So thank you so much for, for, for being on the show. Barbara, how can people get a hold or learn more about your organization? Do you guys have a website? We do. It's www.redmeansstop.org. And what about your book, Barbara? How do people get Carelessness is No Accident? Well, Carelessness is No Accident is available on Amazon, and it can be on the website also for Therapy Publishing. She's she's our publisher, and it's a local publishing company here in Chandler, Arizona. But it's on their website, too, Therabee, F-A-R-A-B-E-E, Publishing. And Amazon has it in Kindle form. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Barbara. Um, Thank you for all the work that you're doing. Thank you for all the lives that you're saving. And Michael is certainly saving lives through all the work that you're doing. Well, thank you both. Thank you. Well, Alan, that was that was a very incredible show, and you know, Barb is really showing us that out of great tragedy, also comes incredible advocacy. Great work. Great work gets done by hurting people, and uh, yeah, I just I love her story. Absolutely. So, thank you from the Open to Hope Foundation and the Compassionate Friends. And if you've lost hope, please lean on mine, and Alan's, and Barbara's, and God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.